You're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the topics that matter most in the consumer and retail industries. I'm your host, Monica Toriello. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. As we record this episode, the Delta variant is raging in many parts of the world, causing a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, and even raising the possibility of renewed lockdowns in some areas. And one business implication of this for consumer goods companies is that people could again shift much of their spending online rather than going to stores. Over the past year and a half, most consumer goods companies have been actively building their e-commerce businesses in response to overwhelming demand. And this demand has been sustained so far. In fact, McKinsey's most recent research shows that as of mid-2021, online penetration remains approximately 35% above pre-pandemic levels. So e-commerce is clearly a growth channel for CPG companies, but it's not always a profitable one. Shipping and advertising costs are higher in e-commerce, so profitability online has been a challenge for CPG companies. And today we'll be hearing from two people who've spent a lot of time studying this problem and helping CPG companies improve the profitability of their online businesses. Our guests are co-authors of a recent article titled High Growth, Low Profit, The E-Commerce Dilemma for CPG Companies. And they lead McKinsey's e-commerce work with consumer companies in North America. So some quick introductions and we'll dive right in. Lydia Chappell is an associate partner based in McKinsey's Atlanta office. Hi, Lydia. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. And Tanya Sivaeva is a partner in the New Jersey office. Thank you for joining us today, Tanya. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. So I've given a very high-level overview of the situation, right? People are buying more online. Companies are selling more online. But I'd love for you to give a little more color and detail. What are the specific challenges of selling online for CPG companies and what seem to be some of the solutions? Well, maybe I can start with sharing some insights from our recent research. Um, Online margin are definitely more challenging than offline, but we found out two things that are encouraging to us. One is scale does seem to matter online. We see categories and companies that have higher volumes sold online, benefiting from that and reflecting that in higher margins. We also see that companies' ability to manage three specific PNL items does make a big difference. Um, those three items are advertising investment online, uh, promotion and trade investment online, and ability to control supply chain costs associated with online. I think it's worth adding that even as CPG companies are starting to think more about how to improve their e-com profitability, it's their channel partners, the retailers that are really going to turn up the heat on this in the coming months. You know, in recent years, the game for retailers has been growth online. It's all about driving online profitability and online, excuse me, online penetration, I should say. And most retailers really haven't fully accounted for the costs of selling online, even like the simple accounting of where those costs go and what is the true profitability of online. So the digital marketing, the supply chain costs. And as retailers begin to focus on profitability, they will be in turn asking for concessions from their CPG partners 
which will only increase the margin pressure on our CPGs. And our colleagues from the retail practice are actually currently working on an article coming out soon on exactly this topic. So all this to say, it's been challenging already, and we do expect that CPGs are going to need to pay even closer attention to their margins because pressure is coming from their retail partners. And yet, your article says that according to a survey that you did among CPG executives, they're fairly confident that they'll figure this out, right? They believe that margins and profitability will improve. Why do you think they believe that? I think it really comes down to the fact that they expect to sell both higher volumes online, which is the point Tanya was making earlier about scale. And as they wade into this new world deeper, they expect to get better at managing these costs, become more efficient at selling online. So have you seen evidence of that? Like, can you talk about what specifically companies are doing to address margin pressure? Sure. So there's a few different things that we see um, the companies that are really succeeding at this doing. One is they are very disciplined about quickly reallocating dollars from brand budgets, the pay-to-play trade, brick-and-mortar trade, to what we call pay-for-performance retail media. Um, And in the process of doing so, they're actually taking a really honest examination of their current budgeting and planning processes to make sure that e-com is not just a bolt-on, an additional kind of drop in the bucket, which might have been okay when e-com costs were, you know, when e-com itself was a small percentage of, of total company sales and therefore a small cost bucket. But as that cost bucket grows, so is your ability to, to manage it become more important. Um, In line with that, they're also really working on bolstering their attribution capabilities. And there have been lots of recent advancements with media platforms, data, advanced analytics that allow CPGs to have a better view of e-com marketing ROI. And that's important if you care about profitability, of course. And then in line with all of that, they're turning the eye on, um, excuse me, they're turning up the visibility on omni-channel performance management and governance. Uh, Again, all of these things that I described are different ways to be more thoughtful about your performance management online. One thing that we did just also learn, um, we have some very new research from our 2021 Commercial Excellence Benchmarking Survey. Um, And while I can't go into that too far yet because we're still processing the data, one thing that I can say is that we're also seeing companies that are succeeding online systematically have a stronger revenue growth management muscle, meaning that they're really much better at figuring out the right assortment, the right pricing, the right promotions to support omni-channel. And when we asked winners what they're focusing on, now the winners who have figured out RGM are turning their eye on supply chain and marketing investment. And that's probably not surprising since these are together RGM, supply chain, marketing investment are the three pieces that we said were the biggest cost drivers. So Lydia, you've used the term RGM a few times, revenue growth management. And as you said, RGM encompasses pricing, assortment, promotions. What are successful CPG companies doing right when it comes to RGM in the online channel or ERGM, as you call it? Let me highlight a few. I don't think, by the way, there is a a proven stamped playbook, but I think the tactics and strategies that definitely work. I think when it comes to ERGM uh, or what I would rather call omni-channel revenue management, it first of all starts with data and making sure that the data can be translated into analytics. So 
first of all, understanding and getting real transparency into pricing online is step one. Second is they do need to understand online shopper, where she shops, why she shops there, what is her price sensitivity. I think oftentimes there's too many assumptions about that rather than facts um, that inform the decisions. Third is being very, very clear about assortment. Assortment is really key for unlocking successful ERGM strategies. So understanding what assortment sells online, what assortment can be profitable online and be very mindful and purposeful about using exclusives online is the third element here. Yeah, Tanya, before you go on, let me just ask a quick question about those three elements because in some ways they sound kind of basic, right? Because knowing your competitors' prices, understanding how shoppers shop, paying close attention to your assortment, those feel like things that consumer companies have been doing forever. But what you're saying is that the bringing in of data and analytics is the new thing, and that is the hard thing, the challenging thing. Is that right? Monica, I just wanted to press on that comment about aren't these the basics? While it's absolutely true that revenue growth management has been a staple lever of commercial excellence and brick and mortar, um, and understanding consumer needs, behavior, segments, whatnot, has been a staple again and offline. I don't think our clients have historically put so much focus on understanding the holistic omni-channel journey of that consumer. And surprise, it looks different. The elasticity of your products offline is not necessarily the same as it's online, nor is the competitive set, nor is the occasion that that shopper is shopping for. And I think another big unlock that connects revenue management and some of the other topics we'll talk about is ability to connect the data. Online is a data-rich channel that at the same time, I would say, is typically analytic poor. It's hard to connect because the data sources are so fragmented. It's even harder to connect online data with offline. And it is even harder if you want to con connect online data, offline data, and your PNL data. But only if you make the connection across three of them, you can make informed decisions. And that's quite a manual and complex exercise. But the winners, unlike everybody else, are going through this exercise right now. Right. So data and analytics is key. Okay. So Tanya, you were talking about best practices in ERGM, and you'd mentioned pricing, insights into the online consumer, and assortment. And I think you were going to list a few more. A couple more things. Expanding the range of ERGM tactics is important. Uh, online, we have something that we cannot do offline, for example, subscription. So being very clear when to apply these tactics really helps alleviate some of the ERGM challenges. And the last point I want to highlight is importance of paying attention to details and tactics. Example here being marketplaces. Oftentimes, mar disruption for marketplaces is the main reason why companies cannot realize profitable omnichannel revenue management strategies. So being very clear about what is the pricing on marketplaces, what could be the sources of disruption, what you can do about the sources of disruption, all the way to potentially establishing your own presence on market channel, uh, marketplace to address that. Uh, is a critical part of translating strategy into reality. And by marketplaces, you mean e-marketplaces, right? Like Amazon. So do you think a CPG company can survive without selling on Amazon? You have to be where your shopper is and how you get to your shopper 
largely determines the channel strategy you built. So Amazon is a huge player in the space and they're only going to increase their investment in grocery um, and other CPG categories. So yeah, you have to be in the mix. And our latest research also suggests that winners in e-commerce, they typically play across a broader range of channels beyond just the Amazon. Amazon, frankly, has become table stakes for most CPGs. Now the winners are really looking at places like Amazon Business. Um, they are thinking about cross-border e-commerce in some instances. They are starting to dabble in social media selling. Some of them are dipping a toe into their own DTCs, sales-enabled DTCs. So yeah, you have to be on Amazon, but I don't think that's actually enough. So there are some product categories in which the shift to online happened years ago, right? Toys or pet food, for example. People have been buying those online for years. But other categories are still mostly purchased in physical stores, like food, drinks, household products. Say a little bit about whether that's changed during the pandemic and what you expect to see post-pandemic. Yeah, well, I think that the short answer is that it certainly has changed and we do expect the new behaviors to, to stick for the most part. And our colleagues in grocery retail looked at this question a lot more closely in their recent report. I think it's titled The State of Grocery North America. And a few of the compelling things that they found, in my opinion, one is that around 2019, when they first looked at this, e-com penetration hovered around 4% of sales in North America. So it was an important channel for consumers, but still very niche. But then by late spring 2020, e-com penetration had reached about 10 to 15% of sales overall in grocery. And in some regions, like the high density urban areas, it was you know, over 20%. Um, what we do know is that the recent consumer sentiment shows that the shift in behavior towards e-commerce appears to be quite sticky. Consumers like it. They've been pleased with the experiences provided by, growther, by grocers, both for click and collect and for delivery. And, you know, even across categories, we see that consumers indicate a continued preference for shopping online. Um, and that's starting to even happen in some of the kind of more traditionally hard to crack categories like fresh meat and produce, both of which, by the way, saw a five percentage point increase in net intent to continue to purchase offline, excuse me, to continue to purchase online versus pre-pandemic levels. So what lessons do you think CPG companies can learn from those categories or companies that are sort of further ahead on the e-commerce growth curve, like pet food and toys? Probably a few things that we find in common across these categories and companies that are leading these categories. First of all, uh, willingness to set very bold aspiration and be very public about that. Um, some of these companies stated desire to shift 30% of their sales online where the categories were at 10% or below. Um, second is willingness to put investment behind this commitment. Commitment without investment is not worth much. Um, third thing I would highlight is obsession over understanding consumer and shopper and what is the role of online channel in the consumer and shopper journey and how online and offline channel interacts. And the last thing is translating all of that in very measurable KPIs and finding a way 
to constantly track these KPIs and align the entire organization behind these KPIs. Yeah. Another thing you mentioned earlier that winners are doing is reallocating more of their marketing dollars toward retail media, right? Retail media networks or RMNs. Say more about that. First of all, what are we talking about? Is that like commercials playing on the TV screens in Walmart stores? Like what are CPG companies actually buying when they spend their marketing dollars on an RMN? I would say the actual marketing tactics employed by various retail media networks vary. And they, by the way, are constantly getting more and more sophisticated. Um, But it can be anything as like paid and preferential placements, paid search. It can be events on um, the retailer's homepage where your brand is featured as a partner of that event. It can be more sophisticated um, promotional uh, arrangements. I think at the macro level, it's retailers are trying to become media agencies. Yeah, they're monetizing the eyeballs on their dot-coms. What I see a lot of companies doing today is finding pockets of money to invest against RMN. I do think what winners are doing is starting a holistic conversation around how to rethink commercial investment. Um, It's no longer about historically established marketing budget and uh, trade budget and then shopper budget. All this uh, money has to come together and be rethought given the um, new consumer journey and, and where where the consumer shops and what is really impactful with this consumer. I think Tanya is absolutely right. It's a more holistic conversation. I think the really, I would say, um, smartest guys in the room, so to speak, are setting very explicit expectations with their retail media partners on both the data sharing, the measurement. Um, You know, they're not just takers in this conversation. They're making sure that they get the right value equation from investing in retail media. Yeah, let me ask you about one area that seems to be presenting a huge challenge to all CPG companies recently, and that's supply chain. So you read tons of articles about shortages everywhere, and obviously not just in e-commerce, but in physical stores as well. Can you point to best practices of CPG companies that are excelling in e-commerce supply chain? Sure, and there's probably two horizons that I will talk about. First of all is with all of the supply chain issues that um, CPGs have faced recently, e-com channel has probably been the most challenging given its volatility and difficulties in forecasting. So obviously just uh, putting disproportionate focus on understanding how to serve the channel, how to improve quality of forecasting there is priority number one. However, I think it's also really important to keep in mind more longer term unlocks for supply chain. And unfortunately, there's not as many best practices I, as I wish I could talk about, but three, but maybe three areas are interesting to explore. One is rethinking product and packaging for e-commerce. The example I find probably most inspiring is uh, one of the iconic uh, manufacturers of laundry products who went beyond just rethinking packaging, they rethought products and took out the most expensive part to ship. They took out water from the laundry detergent, making it much more uh, friendly for for e-commerce environment. 
what is the right pack that will delight online consumer, but at the same time will be cost-effective given the online supply chain? Question number one. Question number two, how can CPGs think about their network and rethink their networks to provide more cost-effective solutions for um, either own online plays or to support their e-tailers? So there's been some interesting uh, developments in micro-fulfillment solutions, for example. So what is the future of that? And the last one is retail partnerships. It's a, it's a joint problem. Ecom is driving up cost and supply chain for retailers and for CPGs. For, so what are the uh, partnerships and solutions that are possible to, to reduce costs there is, is another area to explore. In just the last month, one of the nation's largest, I would say, big box retailers announced that they've created a last mile fulfillment service um, from its network. And uh, the groundbreaking news is not that they created the service, the service already existed, I think for well over a year. The groundbreaking news is that they've now opened it up to others, whether it be small businesses or big companies to leverage that service for their own fulfillment. Um, now, the brilliant thing there is that it actually um, creates a more efficient network for the retailer. So they're able to deliver their own volume in a much more cost-efficient way. Um, they're getting more out of their own network and they're also monetizing it. What do you think the new e-commerce consumer is gonna care about most? Is it convenience or assortment or speed or price or something else entirely? <laughs> well, they want it all. They want a frictionless, omni-channel consumer experience. And when we say that, we really mean that they want the experience to be seamless between any touch points and messages and experiences that they have with you online and that they have with you offline. And that's really becoming table stakes, um, really because that's the kind of experience that the tech companies have set as the standard with, with their customers. Think of you know the big search engines of the world, the big telephone hardware providers, um, the transportation uh, gig economy providers, that's what these consumer companies are being measured against. Okay, so final question. If you could deliver one main message about e-commerce to a room full of CPG executives, what would your message be? I would say don't obsess too much with calculating the incrementality of selling online. Sometimes we see CPG executives get really bent about getting the granular understanding of the incrementality potential of e-commerce for their specific categories. And listen, what we do know is that for most CPG categories, there is at least some incrementality from online purchases. This is you know, particularly true in categories like snacks, soda. If it's in your pantry, it's gonna get consumed quickly. But our advice would be not to overly focus on that. In the end, it's all about following the consumer to where they wanna shop in order to continue getting their share of wallet and e-commerce is the way to ensure your products stay relevant for the next generation of shoppers. Incrementality is just, you know, the bonus. So does that mean they just need to move? Is that what you're saying? I mean, what, what is that they just, yeah. they just need to move, you, you, move you, fast? You, you're, stealing, you're stealing my thoughts. Um, from our survey, we do know that, let's call them the leggers, are still debating where e-commerce sit in the organization. While the winners are reimagining supply chain, marketing, and customer experience. So my advice would be stop planning for perfection, move in agile fashion, and learn as you go. 
that is the only way to victory. Yep. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. Well, thank you, Lydia and Tanya, for joining us today. To our listeners, for more on how to make e-commerce profitable, please see our latest insights on McKinsey.com. Till next time, I'm Monica Toriello. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on McKinsey.com very soon. To suggest topics for future episodes, email us at consumer underscore podcast at McKinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email alerts on McKinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.